0: Okay, uh, good evening. It's, um, it's difficult to follow with, uh, you know, a talk after the film, because I'm being, um, we are constantly affected by what we see and we read and what we observe, and of course I just saw that, I mean, it's the first time I see the film, and um, I will have a lot of things to say about it, but. I have to fulfil, you know, what I've been asked to. But one thing that perhaps uh, will be uh, uh, relevant to my talk is this um, desire to become one again, to have lost something, and how do you you become one again? How you do, even you know, despite that that what is missing, you are uh, someone one again. So that will remain uh, perhaps in my mind when I'm talking about. Um, then the second thing I wanted to say you know uh, along my life I've been I have acquired uh, brothers you know um, not brothers in the sense of a family things you know but young uh, men with whom I'm, I work I discuss you know who question my assumption with whom, you know, I'm in a constant conversation uh, while there I know if something is happening to me. And it's a very important uh, thing, it's solidarity in fact. And uh, um, Kader is one of them now, you know, he has entered my group, community or brother. So, uh, tonight I was talking about the post-colonial self, but if it, uh, so, Kados film and work, of course, and the questions of Phantom limb. Uh, our discussion from the world, and also exhibitions that I saw today. I'm in one of the first floor of this building, and three exhibitions I saw also, it's on Cameroon and Congo, and on German colonialism, and uh, extreme at the Humboldt box, which really also raised questions that I will raise at the end of my presentation. And thinking of the question of the mutilated body and the desire to find oneself, you know, again, this phantom limb, made me think about mutilated history and mutilated cartography. What Kado is doing about the body and trauma, the mutilated body to repair, what about mutilated history and cartography? What kind of repair can be done with that? With the question of absence and lack and what is visible and invisible. What is missing and why? What is lacking? What, how to make things you know, that have been hidden visible? What has been hidden? What has been made invisible? What kind of ghosts and spectres are produced? And what kind of operation, political operation, we have to produce to repair? which is effectively this question of reparation. So I'm going to try to work through this question with you tonight quite quickly. So the question of mutilated history. And uh, I start, you know, always, I'm constantly trying to remind people of the importance, the crucial, absolutely essential importance of colonial slavery to understand the world we are living in. It's not a question of the past. It started something, started there, and we have to understand what started there and what is living still with us. The mutilated history of the the question of slavery, and even sometimes we talk about colonization and we forget what happened before and how slavery was a matrix of post-slavery colonization and the matrix of imperialism and capitalism. So What was slavery was the fabrication of the body as object that led to racial capitalism, the construction, the invention of whiteness, and the relation with body and nature. Slavery, we can say, is the archive of Europe. If we want to understand Europe, we have to go back to slavery. It's perhaps its most important ghost and spectre that, you know, is still there around us. We have to think about the machines through which the rationalized body was fabricated, how the human was fabricated as object in Europe, by Europe. So I want to make some point about that very quickly because you know there was not a I mean so slavery for the first time, really for the first time in history, you have the industrial organisation of a mobile, rationalized and gender workforce. Never however, you know, before it happened, suddenly Europe, to work in its, you know, in the discovered place, need the workforce. And it look for a workforce, it has, you know, killed mostly, you know, native people. It brings some Europeans, but it's not working, so it turns to slavery. And the mobile, so it will be organized an industrialized work, you know, dimension. It was, you know, to transport more than 15 million Africans. And when I say 15 million, those who arrive alive. That meant an incredible organization. And we have forgotten that. It was racialized because at one point you have to explain why all slaves were black. And it was gender because, in fact, the slavery wanted men, male. And it was a model that remained with us. So something was fabricated of a body which was racialized, male, and gendered. It was Shane and Mark, remember. And if we are talking about trauma and being, you know, uh, mutilated, all the punition was about. Were about cutting something from the slave. Cutting his hair, cutting his nose to show what he has, you know, because he had gone, you know, transgressed some law. So there was a mutilation on the body constantly, a mark. If you were were maroon, it was a mark on your front or on your shirt, or your ear was, you know, cut. Something has to show your status constantly on the physical body. It was not enough that you were black, you had also to be mutilated. The second point about Colonel Savoy that is still with us, you know, is that being free at the time was the right to have property by, you know, 17th, 18th century. The right to have have property meant that you were free. And only white had the right to own other human beings. No black person could own other human beings. So whiteness was freedom and property what to be a man and what to be free, what to be, have property. Blackness was unfreedom, being an object, and being owned, not to have the right to have property. A third point perhaps we have to remember because it's still with us, that slavery was the construction of cheap labor and cheap nature. The two things went together. Cheap labor was me- meant that Africa was a n- limitless source of bodies to traffic and deport and sell. It wasn't landless. It was not just for one century, it lasted four centuries. And as, you know, uh, most of the time what we see about slavery is Amer- U.S. cinema. And so we see slaves with families. That was a very specific things. Most of the colonies, British or uh, Spanish or Portuguese or French, you didn't have slave families. It was constantly imported. There was no reproduction of the workforce. It was, of course, constantly reproduced by importing the workforce. So cheap labor. And capital was built on cheap labor and cheap nature. Both things went together. Cheap nature was the idea that also nature was limitless, were always there to provide. It was a kind of promoting and thinking that everything was there for you know, accumulating wealth. So cheap labor and cheap nature. It was also the, the beginning, not just of capitalism, but racial capitalism the process of deriving economic and social value from the racial identity of another person. It was not just accumulating, you know, uh, just exploitation or surplus, value. it was, of course, racializing the other person. And it was invention of whiteness. There was not only, you know, of course, we think about blackness, but it was more importantly, the invention of whiteness. Not only the possession of a racial identity, but deriving capital, symbolic and cultural, from that racial identity that was given. So naturalizing whiteness and masking the African also presence also in Europe in terms of mutilated history and geography. As we do know, African presence, I mean there was an African presence in Europe as you know early of the 15th century and this has to be hidden. The question of you know, slavery as it's being told today has to be all the... Over there, so it's not almost touching Europe, and finding ways of masking things—you know, masking the wealth of Europe being accumulated between 15th and 19th century, masking them, and how do you make something visible by hiding other things that are invisible? And this question of visible and invisible became very important. I'm just giving you an example very quickly. Uh, The question of slavery, when I was working in France, a lot of French were telling me my ancestors were not slave traders or slave owners. So it was very bad and I feel very sorry for these people, but it does not really concern me. And I was thinking about how to tell them that it was their history and not just the history of slave owners or slave traders. And I tried to think about it, and I came up with, you know, uh, making them understand that all the ancestors at one time had coffee, we were drinking coffee, and consuming sugar and having tobacco. And the way, uh, one of the way I was, you know, trying to make this. Uh, uh, they understood it, was to organize visits through Le Louvre, the Museum of Le Louvre, which is, you know, one of the most important museums in the world and in France. And it's interesting because the collection of Le Louvre is between 17, uh, 1783, when the Louvre was opened by the uh, revolutionary, the French revolutionary, in a, in a gesture of restituting to the people what has been stolen from, from them by the astrologers aristocrat and the church so they say you know uh, all the painting all these things that have been you know taken uh, that has been accumulated all the beauty, the aesthetics belong to the people so that was a, you know the opening of Le Louvre was justified like that but 1783 is also the first abolition of slavery in a, in a French colony Saint-Domingue because you had the slave insurrection started in 1783 17- uh, ninety one and two years later france felt you know obliged to uh, uh, to abolish slavery. So seven, nineteen seventy three is a very important moment because the Asian revolution which is one of the most important revolutions of the eighteenth century. And the collection in Le Louvre stopped in 1848 which is a second and final abolition of slavery in France because France abolished slavery in 1794 but Napoleon reestablished slavery in 1802 so you had to abolish slavery a second time it is only European state who had who has two abolition of slavery so I said to the people of Le Louvre it's a very interesting moment because we are between two extremely important dates in the history of slavery and emancipation. But I did not want them to look, go to look through the collection for the two or three representations of slaves. You have very few representation of slaves, in fact. I mean, the representation of slavery starts with, really by the second part of the 19th century and is the first humanitarian iconography. The uh, European abolitionists understand they have to. Uh, to um, to um, oh uh, that the, the imagination of European I mean the, 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 the has to be you know what like I you know that has to be captured and they will have the famous representation of the slave ship or torture to bring you know to the European what was slavery because otherwise before it was not understood so this this iconography is really the second half of the 19th century mostly so before that you have. You don't have a lot of representation of slavery. So my idea, and and the question of visible and invisible, it's connected to that, was to look through the the Louvre and looking for, for instance, when are the first paintings representing Aristocrats smoking a pipe? When smoking tobacco has entered the representation of the self, so much. I mean, these things coming from slavery. As I'm you know, the, the culture, that the norms, that to represent yourself as a man, is to smoke a pipe, and you have the portrait. It's a seventeenth-century Dutch painting, and how uh, tobacco, and so for that, I started to put some thread. While tobacco was, you know, was identified with masculinity in Europe, there was no natural reason that, you know, uh, tobacco men you know why women why not women and you do have uh, some women in, in, uh, in, the, in the aristocracy but very quickly it would be assimilated with masculinity so through that through, for instance one painting it was to explain of course why at one moment a man, a bourgeois man of Europe want to be represented as smoking a pipe and is connected with being a man you know because of the masculinity So how you you will, you know, this invisible humanity is nonetheless in, you know, contaminating the culture and the representation in Europe, and so the fact of the you know making visible what has been made invisible, because of course it was a necessity of making this invisible. There was no reason to make you know to have a, a man smoking a pipe, and beside that the plantation with a, you know the slave being exploited. So you have to hide the condition of production, and you have to show what suddenly was representation. And so this whole you know through it was not for me to ask the louvre to bring the representation of the slave like to feel some absence you know of lack and i will come back to that it was in fact to show how it was a necessity to hide this but at the same time it was there contaminating and how it contaminated even progressive movement that how you know at one point uh, progressive movement in europe became also racist and so on. So how effectively it came through and and this lack and this mutilated history helped Europe to think of itself as a special, singular place. You know, uh, being innocent of this crime. And how, uh, as earlier, 18th century, consumption and exploitation and dispossession were connected. Consumption here, dispossession, exploitation over there. And which makes me think, you know, should the slave then enter the museum? And it's again, you know, how do you uh, repair a mutilated story? Should the slave enter the museum? Should we, you know, require that museum? Can she or he disturb the space? And many think about the economy of hiding, hiding a chapter, or hiding someone. You know, the chapter, the history is mutilated, let's hide this forgotten chapter. Let's hide the invisible person. And when we think that it will not change the structure of the narrative. It will just hide. You know, it will be some kind of Benetton philosophy. Let's make, you know, more diverse. But it will not change, in fact, you know, the structure of narrative, it will bear us on the rhetoric of lack and absence. And in made missing of this question of, you know, of effectively what makes some, something world again. Is it by bringing back what has been mutilated or acknowledging the absence and the lack and what has been mutilated or what, you know, in other work that Kader has done, showing the scars, and the scars effectively make, you know, make something visible, We may, because I think we must remain careful of the strategy of trying to feel the absence of the lark. And this, you know, what made me think also, again, uh, by going to the exhibition on German colonialism this afternoon, which was quite interesting because everything was said about the genocide of the era, the first label, you know, the mass massacre, the or, you know, the racism, All you know, it's no longer that 15 years ago. It's not hidden. It's not mass. It's there. So what's kind of new strategy is happening, to nonetheless soften the narrative and that we can leave the exhibition feeling bad for these people in the past, but not really reflecting on how we are you know, doing. So the discourse of lack, how it's still powerful and how it can be replaced by you know, filling up, by replacing, and replacing, you know, what has been missing, the limb, or something like that, rather than effectively. And how this discourse of lack is not just about people who pitated, but has been also about women, gay, queer, minorities, and people, they are lacking something, and they have to catch up and feel something which is like an absence, an absence. The economy of catching up, but what? Catching up with what, and catching up with why? And, uh, and I will come back to that question. So museums or oh, things are showing to the colonialism. It's very important to understand what is how it is done today, how effectively it works through the passive voice. I, uh, there was a, 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 a speech of the prime minister, French prime minister uh, four or five days ago in Accra, Ghana, about slavery, and Manuel Valls taught, said slavery deported um, 12 million of Africans. So let's not talk about the number. It's not 12, but not, it's like slavery deported. So slavery is a thing, an agent that arrives and deport some people, you know. And of course, it was bad, but now, So how the passive voice is used and the euphemism, and I saw that effectively, in, uh, in this afternoon, the new performativity of anti-racism. How anti-racism is being taught, but is you know perform as anti-racism is cool now. It's cool. You cannot be racist. This is, you know, national front people, xenophobic people, all these bad people, people from the East, you know, these people who are not quite civilized. We are civilized. We are not racist. And anti-racism is cool, you know. And, and the diversity is cool. I mean, we are all diverse in Europe. And so Europe is, you know, uh, uh, repairing itself. I mean, a certain Europe, not a liberal Europe, is repairing itself against barbarism, you know, through that effectively, we re- in fact recuperating the history of colonialism or of slavery by pacifying it. This was in the past. So how to repair uh, the reparation for mutilated history and cartography, you know, because of that, you know. And so I will suggest to us, I think one of the things first that we could do is to question the periodicity. Question the way the history is being told, you know, that even colonial, -colonial, pre-colonial, post-colonial, this is, you know, a periodicity that we should question. What is, you know, pre-colonial or colonial, and how the question of pasha, also the space that being, you know. being, uh, being also built. And we know that it's, uh, if we do connected history it's absolutely not like that. We will lose total periodicity. If we were telling the history of Europe through, for instance, the history of migration we will not have at all the same periodicity. We will not have this, uh, these things. If we were telling uh, the story of Europe through the question of slavery, through the fact of making the history of labor is racialized as soon as you have slavery. It's not racialized when you bring in post colonial community in Europe and suddenly we discover Europe is discovering race. The history of the working class is racialized as soon as you have slavery. It's totally changed things, or as soon as you have forced labor in the colony. So you question the periodicity, you question space. You think about uh, you know, how things are happening simultaneously and the question of duration and how it produces a montage of different temporality at the moment and regional property. I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes giving the example you know, of the commune of Paris, which is so important, has been so important for the left in Europe and in Asia also, and for good reason. But the left, the Commune of Paris, the Paris Commune is always told, uh, and you have books every year about the Paris Commune and the importance in the story of uh, Marxism, but also of the working class and of uh, utopia. Very rarely it's being said that at the same time you are the, the biggest insurrection in Algeria. At the same time that you have the Paris Commune, you have the biggest insurrection in Algeria. The Algerian knows that the French troops are, you know, being, occup- you know, taken busy with fighting the Persians. They know also they are busy with uh, crushing the Paris Commune. They start in one of the most important insurrections. 500,000 people will rush up. You will have cavalry, infantry. They will fight in a huge, incredible insurrection. It will be crushed because once the French troops has crushed uh, the, uh, the commune of Paris, they will move to Algeria. They will be tried, the, uh, the, pe- the, the rebel of Algeria and the communists will be tried by the same tribunal, military tribunal, and they will be both condemned to exile in New Caledonia. In all the narrative about the Paris commune, you never have the story of these people who were in the same boat, in the same ship. Of exile to New Caledonia. You will not have also the story of what happened in New Caledonia, when which was right then, you know, had been a French colony for not a long time. So this history of dispossession and crushing, crushing at home the you know, working class. Uh, and crushing, crushing the colony and anti-colonial insurrection and what's happened in both time and how they are connecting and what it is about what has to be crushed and what has to be disciplined is not being talked together in a cross narrative and this is what I'm talking about when I say questioning a periodicity and speciality even for very important even for the European left how they are overlapping and overlaying each other and other things about you know, this question of reparation that we do is to think about what M. Césaire said in the Discourse on Colonialism, what he called the boomerang effect, or what we could call also you know, the, the, the shock in return. He said that, you know, and that could be the phantom limb, in Discourse on Colonialism, uh, Césaire said that you cannot uh, colonize uh, innocently or without, you know, uh, return. And he showed that, I mean, as you know, the the most important argument, he said that Nazism was in fact bringing back to Europe what the European has been doing in the colony for a century. And it was what suddenly, you know, that Europe, Europe could not understand that how come this is happening to us? But he showed that everything you know, about the uh, concentrating people get to organizing, uh, depriving people of rights from one moment to the other, uh, dispossession, dispossession, stealing property had happened before. And he called that the boomerang effect, that you cannot do that somewhere without you know, this coming back to you and contaminating democracy. So this boomerang effect, you know, uh, what mutilation, how Europe was produced, how Europe, this idea of Europe was produced, and what mutilation Europe has to do to arrive there on her own body and, of course, on people in the world. On people in the world and on people on her own terrain. How she repaired a wound by exporting violence and how she wanted to ignore that, because ignorance protects, protect from, you know, what you have to do. How she needed body, and she used body as fuel, you know, body of slave and colonized people, or body of migrant and refugee, or, you know, workers today, migrant workers, who became the organic element of capitalism. How the accumulation is a principle and colonization has become a principle of racial capitalism and European capitalism. Even the principle of the collector. You cannot have one body. You need two million bodies. You don't have one skull. You need one thousand of skulls. You don't need you know, one antelope, but thousand, The fear of lacking. So how you will decolonize Europe? You are colonized. Europe, you know, are, have been colonized by itself. And the boomerang effect. So how do you think about your own colonization and not, you know, thinking about people in Togo or ever? What is to be? You know, what here and now? How do you do that? How do you get, how Europe will get out the logic of its own colonization and decolonization? What will be decolonial methodology to think? And one thing, because I'm being told I have to talk, I think that the question in Europe is not so much the right, it's the left. The question is not the right, you know, and the xenophobic right, it's the left and the defeat. And the impossibility of the left of facing the question of race, and the question, the colonial question, and the question of imperialism. And to think about defeat, and, you know, they were uh, echo about the question of defeat. And I remember, I mean, some years ago, I, I, I was working on a project and it was defeated. After 10 years of work, the, the project was wiped out. And I was reading uh, Eric Hobsbawm some years, uh, some months later. And Eric Hobsbawm said, um, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, I have been truthful for an idea all my life and has been communism and communism has been defeated, but defeat is very good for uh, the intellectual because it sharpens your mind and victory makes you complacent. And of course at the time I was more you know, uh, depressed than being sharpened, my mind wasn't that sharpened, but it made me think about the question of defeat because effectively a lot of struggle, the story of struggle is a story of a lot of defeat, you know, of colonized people when we think about the post-colonial state for those of us who live in the south and who go to the south and where the south is also our world it's a lot of defeat but how the defeat is to find also the source for you know further struggle and that trauma is not a state a state you know in permanent state but the consequence of an ongoing narrative you know and machine of dispossession colonization and exploitation and how we can fight this new form of colonization of disposition. And I do think one of the, uh, the tasks at hand today is the decolonization of Europe. It's here and now. It's here to think Europe again and to think what will be a decolonized Europe that will work again in solidarity with other, other people, the people that Europe has effectively mutilated but has, through this mediation, has mutilated itself from its own history of, you know, asking for emancipation. Thank you.
1: Okay. So I hope uh, your bodies are not too much deformed yet um, and enjoying this kind of exercise to discipline yourself in uh, entertaining knowledge. Uh, we, we will start uh, the talk here on the table and then go on, uh, give the possibility to ask questions, comment, make comments. Uh, and I think we are going on for about 30 more minutes so that you have an idea about what's going to happen. <clears throat> uh, I would like to start uh, with uh, observation from the film and this notion of uh, repair. Uh, because, of course, uh, repair, the notion of repair has different kind of layers. And, and one layer, I think, is very important, that is its concreteness. Because it sounds mechanical, but, uh, but it has also a very concrete uh, implication. Uh, and to some extent, I think the mirror in your film is articulating this concreteness, what it means concretely to have one part of the body left. Can you... Elaborate on that.
2: Well, um, I think it's a good remark because uh, uh, when I was shooting the movie, for instance, in different places, one part here in Berlin, I thought that it was very interesting to use today in 2016, 17, whatever, a very, I mean, expressionismous process. I think more now, But I'm sure Milius have used the mirrors in their movies. And what really struck me is that when I was uh, working with a studio here in Berlin, in Mitte, they were saying that it's incredible. I mean, it looks like an after effect, because we don't see the mirror at some point when they were correcting the color. And in this era of post-internet art and digitalization of everything, for them it was like, now, I'm talking about two months ago, it was like, wow, it's incredible. So this is the concreteness, I think, uh, uh, you're right, uh, which is definitely probably one of the crucial, I mean, definitely the crucial aspect of the repair that uh, how to say... You know with my uh, philosophical background, I have these tendencies of theorizing, making theory of everything. But actually, I have to admit that as an artist, today, not only today, it it, it has always been like this, but this film helped me to just be, uh, how do you say, décomplexé, remove the complex of the form. I, I, I definitely think the form is very important. I'm not, of course, the only one. There are many artists who think so. Even they say this in lectures, form, form, form. And I think this concreteness is this. I think this sort of... Uh, as at some point, the last decades, we have polarized. We did a polarization between the form and, uh, and the concept. But actually, it's, 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 it's linked forever. So this is the concreteness.
1: And uh, you are mentioning in uh, in the film uh, when you ask the question to one of the experts, uh, uh, saying how important it is just that the patient sees by the mirror both sides, uh, and, and that this can already contribute. This concrete experience can con- uh, can contribute
2: to the healing process. Of course. I mean, this is not my invention. Uh, There is a professor of, I mean, a neurologist in West, in, uh, I think he's in Berkeley or Stanford. His name is uh, Villegianur Ramachandran. And Ramachandran is is an American with Indian origin. And he has has developed for the first time ever the experience of the mirror. So this uh, Spiegel experience aims at uh, helping amputees who have uh, a, a phantom schmerzen, or phantom pain, uh, using a mirror in different um, visits. It's not one visit. It, you, you, they really need to go many times during some months. And Ramachandran has uh, used a mirror to put exactly as you said, uh, to help them using the, 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 the limb which is left the, the reflection of the limb which is left, which is reverse, has an image of this phantom limb. And we just have to think, as the surgeon says, that it's absolutely incredible. They, I mean, I had to edit the movie, but there are so many uh, words by the surgeon, like uh, Maurice Mimoun, who says that I had so many patients who woke up by night saying, oh, I got it back. Mm-hmm. And then the sad uh, constat. But this experience of the mirror is, works like that. Actually, the doctor, the surgeon, the, the, the neurologist, show for like five minutes, the reflection of the left arm reverse, then the patient has this, this incredible impression that he's back, and then slowly removing it. Why? Because actually the phantom limb phenomenon, of course there are many still mysterious around this, but what is clear is that the brain, um, an area of the brain, because now we are able to map the whole brain, the area which actually um, is the one that of, of this of limb, it's still active sending message to these left nerves. And there's a specificity of the nerves that also I have learned during this project is that we, we, all nerves are made with one pipe and inside a sort of wire, like an electric wire, which is called neuroma. Mm. And this organic electric wire, when you cut it, it's trying constantly to, to it's green again. It's repairing. It has a sort of repair agency. Mm. What is extremely interesting is that the brain is constantly, uh, you have two processes of repair. This neuroma of the nerves trying to reach the part that has been removed, and the brain sending messages to this area say, hey, are you here? And then the answer is, there is an answer, but the answer is, is so uh, imperfect that it produces pain. So by showing to the brain, not to the person, to the brain, that this member is here, and then when you remove it, no, it's not here. You just teach again to the brain that it has to admit, it has to accept what I call the mourning, that the limb has left, and it takes time. Uh, one major argument of the
1: film, so to say, is to translate this individual experience to uh, social context, to communities, to societies. Francoise, uh, what, 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 is, what is the phenomenon on the level of society, what Carter was just explaining on the individual level, so to say, you talk to, to, to the outside and there is nothing, nobody there anymore because the body is gone.
0: I would say, uh, um, I don't think it, it works the same way because um, the collective interest will not be to. I mean the suffering will not work in the same way. what is missing, what has been mutilated, is recovered, I mean, is is masked. There is a necessity to uh, um, to make it you know, to repress it. Um, So people suffer in silence, I mean, those who suffer in silence. And so this is why you have a a lot of demand for recognition of what has been missed. But uh, the necessity for the nation state or for capital to produce uh, forgetfulness and to produce, you know, uh, it's extremely important. And to to say what you are missing uh, does not not matter. It's not very important for the the health of, of the collective body. So it's, it will be different, you know, like whereas for an individual you may recognize for your well-being, we have to acknowledge what you have lost at the level of the collective level. It's, it's really related so much to, to um, political interest and conflict and contradiction that then those who can have the power can um, dismiss those who have been, you know, uh, while say we are lacking that and say, no, you are not. But what I, was, what I was also trying to say that in politi- I mean, in the political body, uh, what is missing can be used both ways as, as repression or has an injunction to belong to what is supposedly to be the healthy body, the healthy political body. So it's, it's I mean, the, so the mutilated history has to be taken, or mutilated body, collective body, political body, has to be thought through, not just as what is missing and what I should fulfill, you know, feel. Because you have to think about the frame within which you are told that you could enter and 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 find, and being one again. Being...
1: Yeah, On the basis of what you were explaining, and this notion of uh, rep- reparation, uh, reparatur, yeah? uh, one could uh, assume that the role of the artist, or the question is what is the role of the artist or the intellectual in this situation, to keep the wound open or to heal? Do you understand yourself as a healer
2: or as somebody who keeps the wound open? You know, uh, I think, in Deutsch you yeah. have this distinction between reparation and reparaturen. Yeah. Okay. But in, Fr- in French, okay. it's reparation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the aim of the artist is to... It's, no, but the distinction between reparaturen, it's very mechanical. Yes. And then reparation, it's, I think it's more realistic. It's, more? it's moral, moralistic. Moral? It has to be with it has to do with economy, ethic. Let's say, reparati, uh, reparation of a trauma. Let's say, reparation of disposition at a political level. On the political level, it must not be normative. It... But it's the contrary of reparatoren, which is mechanical. Which yeah. is, let's say, yeah, okay. we see every every. I mean, every day we see yeah. in the street this notion of reparatoren. Yeah. Reparation is much more, let's say, secondary degree. Okay. it 's not concrete yeah that 's true it 's not true. concrete yeah, it 's yeah. not physical yeah yeah it 's not physical and, and what it. i did what what i found extremely uh important is that the physicality of reparaturen and this uh, abstraction but necessity of of reparation is at some point something that um, also we can compare, in English it's the same, repair and reparation. It's, it's also, you can. it's definitely split. As it has always struck me that in French, for instance, réparation gather all this kind of repair. Mm-hmm. So, the artist is, I mean, I'm not saying the artist, but in my own practice, I have been very interested by the fact that what looks like a physical issue actually can be used as a metaphor to understand much better um, social political uh, issues. I'm not even talking about trauma like disposition of slavery. And uh, in this film, which is I think much more an essay uh, than a film, I have been very surprised to meet so extraordinary people working in their own niche of knowledge reacting immediately on this metaphor of the phantom limb, with a phantom huge amputation of a civilization as, this is it, like Fethi ibn Slamah. Fethi ibn Slamah is a Lacanian psychoanalyst, he's working the last 40 years with jihadists. In the film, you feel that he's it's, it's talking about jihadists. He's never saying this, because I didn't want that at any time we, talk, we say terrorist or jihadist. We, we just guess. But but Hetheben Slama is, as far as I'm concerned, the only psychoanalyst today who has been working, and until now, with more than 40 young jihadists who have been cowed by the by the Turkish first, first and then brought to the French government in Paris. I think that uh, this notion of rep- of repar- uh, rep- uh, reparation for some uh, intellectual like this psychoanalyst. Is extremely relevant nowadays because the area of uh, intellectual activism, which was occupied in the 70s by intellectuals such as Foucault, Genet, uh, Angela Davis, that you know, Francoise, I mean, Simone de Beauvoir, Jean Paul Sartre with the Algerian War these areas have been completely given up. It has been abandoned nowadays. And since the last 25 years, I think we spoke about this, Francois, since the last 25, 30 years, this grant that is still here has never been really, uh, um, not only used, but uh, significantly in- investigated by intellectuals. Nowadays, the only people who are, I mean, able to analyze... The, 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 the consequences of this trauma of slavery, colonization, genocide, etc. are such, indi- such uh, uh, intellectual profile, psychoanalyst. So, talking about the repair, the repa- reparation, I think, for me, uh, it's not easy. I, I know that that's why the, 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 the movie Hand, and I also started before to talk about this, unreparable repair. I'm not saying that everything can be repaired. And maybe the problem is that we have to admit this. It's just that I'm, I have to, it this is a very personal opinion now. Huh? I have to say that I'm very, very interested by uh, Grazina Duaté from uh, Vilnius. She's also, she's a Jungian psychoanalyst. By this psychoanalyst, uh, psychoanalyst approach of the politic of, the, of today's because we are living the consequences of a world that has been built before and then haunted the psyche of all of us here, and then the world. So this is what I would say about this. What,
1: what made you think of this new twist of the repair of the repair? What was the concrete observation or experience?
2: Well, I, I'm sorry, I don't get the question, I, about uh,
1: What, uh, what was the 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 reason? What was the experience which made you? brought you to the point to speak about the repair of the repair, or to think about the repair of the
2: repair. I think that, as I said before, that starting with very concrete, uh, small uh, object uh, that we all know, and this sort of beautiful uh, devotion that someone, uh, sometimes anonymous people, have devoted to an object to repair it. I mean, I'm not going to show you again my project for Documenta, but it was focusing on this sort of incredible uh, sophistication of, uh, of repair. Yeah. What moved me into this immateriality of repair yes. is that actually repair is not only this physicality. Of course. Yeah. It's this sort of endless agency yeah. that I think it's a sort of a crucial factor of existence. But what I like also in the movie with UA Copeland He's saying about the grievance that a, 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 a grief that can never been repaired. If you just, um, I, I invite you to look at the movie another time. It's, of course, it's it, it's, it in its time. But for me, probably for the first time, I just follow two, let's say, different pathways, which are not conclusions. The fact that sometimes we can repair with the mourning, or we have to admit that probably what made us so uh, different, also probably I don't know. I, it's, I have to say that here I'm in front is sort of uh, an ability to name this, but the, the, definitely the unreparability of repair yeah. confront us to the complexity of the world we are living in. And I think think it's very important because also at some point repair is very moralistic in the world we are living in today. We build memorial and we say, okay, we're going to build a memorial in Vilnius and then the Stalinian crimes will be uh, uh, forgotten. No. Mm. Or the Nazi crime as well because Vilnius, that's why I was interested by this city in in my film. I have just to say this quickly is that it's probably one of the cities in East Europe that has suffered from both Nazi and Stalin. And, and And it makes these psychoanalysts of this city like radzina Duate i mean you're dealing with so uh, complex uh, 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 issues in terms of repairing. Um,
1: next question to the francoise, and then I will be open to the to the audience. Um, perhaps one aspect of repair of repair is you may repair or try to repair at some aspects, and then other aspects come up. So the question, uh, and you used the the image of uh, making invisible. Uh, Now, uh, it's accepted, I mean, we have this kind of shows you mentioned in the city, uh, that there was slavery, that there was a colonial rule of the germs, So, so, what has been invisible for quite some time is now visible. And what are the new invisibles? Um,
0: well, if we treat, uh, if, we, if we look at history of dispossession and exploitation, just as psychic wound, um, we forget the struggle for social justice. Um, the story of slavery and colonialism and imperialism today is a story of destruction of people and today, right now this today, now now there are people dying um, and this cannot be repaired in the sense that uh, we will not bring back that uh, peace has been destroyed, people are destroyed, family has you know, being dispersed and you have millions of refugees because of war so that cannot be repaired. in the sense of, um, of uh, people will live with that, with the loss of their country, with loss of one thing. You know, If we think about Syria, Syria will never be what it has been. It will be something else. We don't know what. So uh, the history of the world is a, the a history of a constant wound, and, and that cannot, it can be healed only through the struggle only the struggle can repair. Yeah. It's because you will fight and that you fight for the ancestors who, all the, who has been defeated, all the people who are dying today on the shore of the Mediterranean or elsewhere on the, on the borders of Europe because Europe want to be a fortress. You fight against that, this is the way you will repair. Mm-hmm. You will not bring them back to life. They have been killed but you will do things in the struggle for, you know, more social justice, that will be a reparation. So, for me, uh, uh, there are, for instance, the, the question of the past, or how to repair the past, and how to do things, it's really about the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about what we do in mm-hmm. the present, present, about slavery, colonialism, imperialism, and also what is happening today. Okay. And how, then, will we, find, we teach, History differently, as I was trying to say, that it's always connected with something. And then you will, when you, you look at sugar, you know what is sugar. It's not just to sweeten your coffee or tea. It has a history. It's not just a sweetener. It has a history. And it's covered with blood. And still today, sugar is one of the most parties when you buy a banana so it's like to to work, that you understand that you are living in an ecosystem that connects you with people and that you the privilege in which you live to, today is at the price of other people exploitation at war and how to repair the world is to fight for better you know for social justice and against this it's not just about you know uh, making story right at the Museum for History in Berlin. It's not, I mean, that's, because you can feel righteous, oh God, we repair things, and now we are training the true story, and you know, all German, were bad because they were colonial people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I work, as you know, a lot on slavery, and I've been visiting a lot of the Museum of Slavery, and the Museum of Slavery in Europe are mostly a moral uh, itinerary. You start with bad and you hang at the end and slavery was abolished or oh, good. That was the past, bad people. And I feel very righteous and on top of it, Europe abolished slavery, oh my God, I'm on the side of the good people. And there is no word about why this lasted so long. How consent was, produ- was produced so that people continue to consume. And so what does it tell to today our consent? to things that are happening. And the wound that are being produced today, every day. And so how this is not about, you know, like we, you know because we'll not help anyone, but how effectively uh, fighting.
1: Okay, so we have the possibility of, uh, you have the possibility of ask questions or give comments. Do we have a mic somewhere? Ah, yeah, the mics are over there. Yeah, here, here is a question, here? Oh, there, okay. Yeah, thank you very much, Carter, for this fantastic film.
0: And I have a question that is sort of inspired by the article that Manthea wrote um, about your work, um, which was published on the website of the HKV. And the question concerns the way in which the mutilation that you showed um in this film is a sort of reflection on the impossibility of distance between self and other, because what seemed to me what sort of what you were showing was an interesting reflection on the on the on the unwillingness of the body to become its own other, that is to say, it's not letting go of something that once was part of the self it's sort of constantly claiming back something which has already left the 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 body. so I'd just like to invite you to reflect a little more on the way in which this film about the mutilation of the body is a reflection
2: on this relationship between the self that is becoming another? Um, very interesting. I don't know if it's, it's a question. I take it as a remark, but I have to say that I like it because uh, also we didn't speak about this, but probably what is the is, let's say, the spine of this project I would say even rather than being a metaphor between the phantom limb and the collective um, uh, phantom or trauma is much more the difficulty to build an interdependent relation between the individual and the and the, and the group what Fethi Ben call les groupes humains. And that's why I think, I like your, your remark because I think like Roland Barthes used to say probably the most difficult things is to find a good distance, not too close, not too far. And he's saying this in camera oscura or clara, using the metaphor of the lens, which has a, a focal uh, dot, which helps you to have the point, I mean, the focus on the model. So of course, probably, uh, this question of the mirror is the question of the distance, definitely. You know, I don't know how Dutch, because my my German is not good enough, but in French, using the word I mean looking at something you can say regarder but there is another word that is much old-fashioned but still used, it's correct. It's miré. And miré comes from miroir, uh, spiegel. But with this, this specificity that to mir means to that we would be all looking at one point. And I have to say that it reminds me an amazing text by the French philosopher of the 15th century, Etienne de la Boétie, The Discours on Servitude, in which he says that, talking about the tyrants, the dictator, it is because we are on our knees that he looks so tall, and Fethi Ben Slamah, in one of the interviews that I did not edit, that's why I'm happy to share it with you here, because the most in- interesting thing are always the things that are not in the film. <laughs> Fethi Ben Slamah told me that, as a Tunisian, when the dictator Ben Ali fall down, and you all know here that this has started the Arab Spring, it's not nothing, huh? revolution, Fethi uh, Ben Ali, the dictator, used to be this point, the tyrant, from which all the millions of Tunisians were looking at. Because, Etienne de la Boissy says, it is because we are on our knees that it looks so tall, because it doesn't make sense that millions of people can accept one tyrant. At the 15th century. A lot of psychoanalysts use this text of discourse on servitude. What is interesting is that Fethi Ben Slama was in Tunis when Fethi Ben Halif uh, left with his wife. And from one day to another, the whole Tunisian population started to look at each other because there was not any more mirror to look at the tyrant. So this is all about the distance, actually. And the distance with the mirror. Because what we look, what we try to look in the tyrants, is a part of ourselves, that we love. And that's why Fethi, in this interview, is quoting Lacan with his beautiful neologism, enamoration. Eight, N, love, amor.
1: This example is also very interesting because it shows the role of the body as a body in order to be mirrored. Uh, that, that it's, it's not uh, I mean it's a very, the very concrete body which works as a mirror for you
2: Absolutely mm-hmm. I, th- I think definitely the, 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 the body is a mirror mm-hmm. but what is uh, uh, absolutely a very good, interesting example but in the world of Slama and in these remarks of the distance is saying that uh, I mean there are many things but Definitely, the notion of mirror mm-hmm. is, uh, is, uh, is the body, but it's, it's also the language. But this is another thing. I, w- I don't okay. want to.
1: There was another question over there. Uh, perhaps we take then two if there is another one, because we should not be too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I'm thinking
3: about the transparency advantages and limits of the transfer of the metaphor of the body to the society. First, it seems to be a really rich picture. It allows, for instance, the suffering about the loss of community members, or as you said, the visualization of the loss of something that should be there or that was there. At the same time, I have the worry that it supports authoritarian regime because who is, who is directing the body? The head is directing the body. Um, the head tells the body what to do, how to move. Sometimes the head is mourning about loss of limbs, but is a political head really always suffering from the loss of a limb, or is it sometimes causing the loss of the limb that's one worry. Another one is, is the diseased body of the individual, what is a correspondence in society? Something like racism, social injustice, or sexism, or political crime. Is it a diseased society? No, it's not. It's a society in which somebody is responsible for something that should not happen, and that should not be there. And that responsibility, I fear, is being taken away by applying the term of the body to the society, the concept of the body to the society, because somebody who is diseased uh, shouldn't be thought of something, uh, no, somebody who is committing a crime shouldn't be thought of of something who is not responsible because he's, he's diseased. At the same time, that opens the gate for attributing guilt to the diseased individual, so I do see... ...disadvantages at both sides, the diseased individual and the society in which uh, occurrences such as injustice or all other social crimes take place. So I wonder whether that should be reason enough to say the concept of the body, give it back to biology, give it back to medicine or to dancers... ...but uh, emit it from sociology or political theory...
1: Is there another question we could take, and then I give the? Okay, there none other. You would like to react to that?
0: Um, yeah, I I I think you're right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, okay, many th- many things perhaps. Um, we we talk about the, the body as is always uh, individual, you know, and I was thinking about the collective body. I mean, people getting together and building a collective body, and that will be a way also of forgetting what has been mutilated, you know, and um, how it's very interesting to see... Uh, the kind of joy and happiness of people getting together and uh, suddenly so, I mean there is this and what uh, the personal wounds everything is pushed aside because there is a creation of something that makes you effectively uh, go beyond your own thing and so I, I, I agree that um, uh, there is I mean we have in, in there okay how can I see? That? I do think we have to acknowledge on the personal level that someone can be totally destroyed. Individual can be totally destroyed. They can be a psychic destruction, really. And uh, despite what we say, there is no reparation. There are some individuals who cannot be repaired. I mean, there is a real, and this has to be acknowledged: knowledge, um, that you cannot uh, destroy people uh, without consequences, And even, you know, neither psychotherapy or surgery will help that person. You can really destroy I mean, there are ways of destroying the individual deeply. And medicine, psychology will not help. You have destroyed. And there is really, we have to look at that. We have to look at what is really the technique of destruction of people that we, you don't have reparation. Then there are the levels through which you can have medical or, you know, reparation or psychological. And then you have uh, what you were talking about, the question of if uh, the collective body and that these wounds are also um, uh, performed by, by structure. You know, racism, structural racism is not just something that comes from wherever, you know. and And this it can be repaired, in a way, uh, through effectively collective struggle. I mean, the discrimination, the inequalities, but that, we have to understand, that will not mean necessarily the same thing for then the individual. That you can have, you can fight against the fabrication of wounds, the fabrication of earth, the fabrication of suffering, that is really then translated psychologically and even physically for someone by putting, you know, if it, you will not do that. You will not treat people like that. But that will not mean necessarily that individually people will be repaired. Though there will perhaps always be a loss, because as I, you know, I was trying to say, you cannot do that without consequences and the consequences cannot just be repaired by structure you know by, by laws and institutions. institution so we have to think about both level that we have to uh, create institution and and possibilities for people to find a way of you know reparation on the individual level and collectively we have to fight those institution exists and these laws and two hand discrimination and inequality and this production Uh, of of wounds and suffering and we have to acknowledge that this and this is why we have to fight against them because they are never without deep consequences international, internalized uh, hatred of oneself, you know, humiliation shame uh, uh, not feeling whole and this are produce and and at the same and this uh, so this is why we have to fight against them you know because they, they produce deep uh, uh, wound that cannot be so i will just you know say that uh, we have to think about all this level i'm just saying that because i remember i'm am sorry it it may me it may seems abstract I, I, I met, you know, at one point in, in my life. I was in Mozambique with uh, children who had been taken as soldiers. They were six-year-old, taken from their family, eight-year-old, and, you know, transformed into soldiers. And then the, the war ended, and they were teenager, adolescents. And some of them could not... I mean, they were taken from their family. They were very young. And even they had been totally loved... As as a child or whatever, they could not understand anymore what it meant. They were totally uh, something was deeply destroyed. I mean, there was a wound that could not. It, it was impossible. All those and why? It was not. Ne- it was not necessarily understandable. It was not. You could not just say, "Oh, that one can be repaired." There were things and. Uh, and we have also to acknowledge that as, as, as human beings, that you have also always a singularity. There is not a solution to everyone. And but so through that, we have to acknowledge the kind of thing that we are doing, that you don't do that again, you know, what Césaire was saying about the problem. you do not that innocently. There is no, you will, so this is what you have to know that these things that you are doing will produce that.
1: I, you would like to comment on
2: that? No, I mean, uh, just a few things, because I was listening to Françoise, and it reminds me what she said during her lecture about the boomerang effect, which I think that it goes perfectly what Fatih Ben Shlama says, that he was mentioning, for instance, the genocide of Armenians by Turkish. And he was saying that nowadays, we are living an era of, of rewriting the history. And he was saying, it's not the fact that people want... It's not a vindictive statement. It's just about that people have uh, issues with this phantom limb. Mm. And as long as we will not accept that there is something somewhere, from both sides, not only the victim, also yes. for the per- per- perpetrator, which is extremely important in this aspect, it will remain, but not only remain as something under the carpet, it will become worse and worse. And worse. And Fithe knows what he's talking about because again he's working every day with jihadists. I will never forget the day he told me, you know, Kader, when you have someone who is like twenty years old and you follow since I don't know, eight months. First the first things that he has observed clinically is that all of the all the young jihadists speak the same. They don't have the same language. They speaks about a sort of body, they part of a social body. They don't talk even about the umma, which is the the, the the Islamic body, the Islamic nation. But this this they never said I. They said we. But he told me that after eight months, when you have it happens most of the time after eight ten months, when they start to talk about the the some individuals start to remember his own childhood. We we talk about young teenagers or late late teenagers who were killing people in Syria, for instance, or Iraq. And they remember, they have sort of blurred souvenir of their childhood. And I think that definitely... um, I don't want to, 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 to mix with what Francois says, it, and this remark was interesting as well. Of course, there is, so we have no idea how much the mind can be destroyed for in, from, from, from inside. But definitely, this boomerang effect is an endless process that as long as we, 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 we maintain a sort of op- opacity between the reality of it and uh, the, the the world we pretend to build it will not, it will not stay, it will become really problematic, mm-hmm. extremely problematic, and worst and worst, because the more against the distance we build distance with the reality of the trauma, the more it mm-hmm. becomes a sort of uh, chimera and chimera, mm-hmm. a myth mm-hmm. which becomes much more much more uh, um, uh, Powerful.
0: I, I was also thinking, I mean, not necessarily related deep, you know, st- directly, but I was thinking it was also the question of the, what is an able body and the question of disability and what is missing and how is this being seen as society as missing and should be then being f- filled again. And you know a lot, for instance, of women with breast cancer and have a mastectomy, and they are pushed by a surgeon to have a reconstruction of their breast. And there was a movement by saying, "No, we want to show because it's it's more, you know." And why should because effectively, and it was at the beginning seen as helping women to become women again, and that otherwise it was too, uh, you know, effectively uh, disabling. And, and the wound, and 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 so what is uh, also the the idea of the full body of the whole body, and and how this uh, is is a construction also, and and you and how then uh, you feel that you have been uh, wounded uh, and that you are missing something, and this is what I was trying to say about what is this uh, discourse about lack, and. You know what is lacking, and if we go to Lacan, whatever we could go forever about that. But so um, it's not saying I, I'm not dismissing the, the suffering or the thing, but I'm thinking also what is being uh, uh, dominant as the idea of the able, you know, the the, the, the full body, the whole body, and uh, if you, you have to be made that again, and the, for instance, how it is quite connected with military. And and soldier uh, uh, coming back without uh, legs or whatever, and then you will find the way of building, rebuilding legs yeah. with whatever, and it will be performing whatever. And what is not being said that why why did you you send this young man to war and and things like that? So the kind of performance uh, of of me- of medicine and surgery that is connected with art, without f- effectively from the beginning what. Made that? What fabricated the disabled body? And that has to be made, you know, full again, through again, surgery and medicine. That is being a, a very performative and extra, quite extraordinary. But in the meantime, other bodies are maimed and killed and wounded. And you, I mean, it's it's a little messy what I'm no. being saying and what I say. But
1: no, basically, it becomes clear that this is an ongoing process. <laughs> uh, but there was a light performance, so uh, we have to finish now. Thank you very much, Francois, thank you, Carter and thanks a lot. Too.